I'm the referee on this field, not you. That's goals and blokes. Nice ball then. Maybe it's against his religion to hit the That's ball. Balls and blokes. Madagara between the post. That's balls and blokes. We call it in. Joe. Oi, oi. It's a podcast with real nuts. Well, Joe, are you excited for this one? This one's going to be awesome, I think. Marty Banks joins us here at Bats, Balls and Blanks, episode number 29. Looking forward to catching up with him a little bit later on. Robbie Robinson has kind of thrown him under the bus. He said if he did it last week, uh, Marty would jump on this week. And Marty's uh, been trying to avoid us a little bit, I think. Yeah, Robbie's promised us some good stories, I think, as well. So hopefully uh, Marty can give us what we want and yeah. Uh, yeah I think it'll be really really interesting what else is coming up on the pod uh, of course in just a moment going to look at our top two songs from the 80s last week we did the 70s and obviously we've gone all the way from the 50s all the way through uh, a couple of bangers from me today you got yours sorted yeah I do yeah alright good ones good ones of course okay. 80s is a good era 80s is uh, very dancey isn't it it's quite upbeat mm. yeah it is it is when you think mm. about it yeah what else have we got lined up we're going to touch on the All Blacks game uh, have a look at what's going on in the NRL a little bit and um, the Cricket T20 World Cup. We'll touch on that a little bit later on as well, won't we? Yep. Anything else? No, missed? I think we should get into these songs. Mm, Bangers. Yeah, we've got to sort of chop through things fast because I feel like we want to make the most of this time that we've got with Marty Banks and uh, and really get into that. I started last week. I think it's your turn uh, to start this week with your number one favourite uh, 80s song. Righto. I've started off strong with Africa by Toto. Oh, good tune. Oh, beautiful. Good. Is it just me, or do we seem to choose songs with like really long intros? I know that took a while, didn't it? Mm. Did why Africa by Toto? Uh, I think it's just a, it's just a good song, isn't it? Sing along, mm, and it is. everyone knows it. Yeah. Yep. Well, you're up next, mate. I'm Number up two. Next. My one. This was uh, I was sort of tossing up between a few, and then I thought, no, this song here is probably going to be like in my top three of like most listened to songs on Spotify uh, at the Spotify Rap thing this year. Tears for Fears. Everybody wants to rule the world. Good tune, uh. Awesome. Awesome tune. You like it? Love it. Good. Love it. Love it? What's your number two? My number two is Billy Jean. Michael Jackson. Ooh. Bit groovy, eh? Yeah, bit of MJ. Everyone's got an opinion on this man, don't they? I won't tell you mine. Righto, number four, which number two for you, Shuts, get in me. there. Uh, Bruce Springsteen's Glory Days. Banger. Awesome. This song here, for some reason, sort of reminds me when you're walking into a stadium going to watch a big sport event, and you're sort of walking like behind the grandstands, and you can hear the music out at the field, but you're a bit further away from it. I think that and Danger Zone. I always oh, thought that as well. Danger Zone. Danger Zone. Have you thought always. of a song like that before? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah, this has always been one of those ones that I just thought that about. Yeah. Oh, well, four, four great bangers in mm, the 80s. Yeah. Uh, we, we look forward to the 90s next week. As well as that, though, we've started Movember. Uh, obviously, it's November the what? Third today? 
yeah. through today. Uh, and Schutz is looking about 14. I'm looking, I'm going to say 16. I'll, I'll back myself oh. I'll back myself there. Uh, and we've shaved off and we're ready to go. And how much have we raised so far, Schutz? I think we're sitting, you know, just over the $300 mark, like $380 we're sitting at at the moment, which is absolutely That's spectacular. Awesome. Um, of course, we grabbed a lot of donations while we were live on Facebook and Instagram the other day. And if you do want to donate, you can head to our Instagram. It's uh, in our bio on there or scroll through our Facebook feed and you'll see our recent posts. Uh, yeah, we're really looking forward to, to raising some money and pushing ourselves on some of these goals and mm. uh, and really pushing it. So if you do see some stuff online, it's for an absolutely brilliant cause, men's uh, mental health, men's cancer, prostate cancer, testicular cancer. Um, you know, it, it's always the good ones that seem to get affected by those things. So if we can do anything uh, collectively, not just as a podcast, but, you know, everyone out there to jump mm. in and support it, it's all going, you know, directly into a really, really amazing cause because I think, you know, everyone sort of knows someone that's experienced um, you know, something that Movember does raise funds for. So that's sort of the reasoning behind why awesome. Joey and I have got into this. We think it's a great initiative. And, and often there's a lot of people that do Movember, Joey, and I don't mean to ramble on here. A lot of people do Movember and it's, oh, yeah, I'll grow a mo. But there's not many um, that I know personally that will jump on there and, and get fundraising and, and actually doing what Movember is about. So um, I, I thank you for, for joining me on this and, and for getting in behind it for the pod. I think it's um, pretty special for us to be able to raise some money. Yeah, we went live yesterday and I think we raised about $265. Mm. And on that live we spoke about uh, a Mike King uh, he featured on The Rock, yeah. and we were going to put it on, but it's about three minutes long, and it's pretty deep uh, and emotional. It kind of pulls the heartstrings a bit. So um, if you want to go look at that, it's on The Rock's Facebook, probably their Instagram as well, yeah. uh, and he sort of gets really emotional about it. So, you know, when you when you are donating to Moby Vimba, you're donating to a really, really good cause. Yeah, and I think it's um, sort of what he spoke about in that thing is he spoke about how, you know, the system's fucked. The system yep. is going through a really hard stage, and that's what he said. He's done a lot for the system, and mm. there's only so much some people can do. So if you do want to see that, do check it out. It really is uh, quite a touching message. And if you do see us sharing our, um, our Movember fundraising page, do get in behind it, because it is a, a very good cause. Uh, well, Joey, we're moments away from catching up with Marty Banks to see um, all the things about his career, mm. uh, modern day to, to, to back, you know, where where he was overseas, all those sorts of wee bits and pieces. So we're going to touch on all of that when we catch up with him. Uh, before we get there, though, I think it would be appropriate if we jump in and have a look at the All Blacks' very tight match against Japan, uh, of course, played at the National Stadium in Tokyo. Blacks, balls and blokes, with Corbin and Joe. Oi, oi! Yeah, fantastic grudge match for the All Blacks. And I think in a packed-out stadium in Japan, well, I think it was about 90,000 people there, Shouts. How good was that? Yeah, that's numbers, eh? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, actually, I guess later on, Marty Banks, He's played a bit of rugby in Japan as well, so he'll have some insight into into how they go about things over there. But mm. we might as well jump into this game. Do you want to? You've got the stats in front of you. Do you want to? Got the stats in front of me. Thirty-eight points to thirty-one. It was a nail-biting finish as well as Japan uh, dotted down in the seventy-eighth minute to make it thirty-one thirty-five. Uh, of course, it was you know two minutes overtime where Richie Moanga slotted over a penalty to get the extra three points. Uh, too close for comfort though in the dying stages of that one. There it was seventeen twenty-one to the All Blacks at halftime. Uh, that Japan side, Joey, does not want to go away. Simple question for you, did Ian Foster and the All Black selection team uh, underestimate Japan? Yeah, I think Japan's a, a side that's grown a lot in the past couple of years. I think they've they've really shown what they can do. Uh, and we've noticed that when Japanese players come and play Aotearoa rugby, uh, you know, they've, they've really grown. I've seen Hamino. Uh, yeah. He played really well in the Japanese game, and he was awesome for the Hollanders just a few years ago. Uh, if we look, 21-3 for the All Blacks at the start. What went wrong to get them back to 2017, uh, 21-17 and into that game? I think it was the midfield, right? and that, that's a personal opinion. We've spoken about this. You don't seem to agree. I've spoken to some other people that do agree. Mm. Um, I really think we were let down in the midfield. I think it was a, a game that was, um, you know, 
a lot of the gaps that J- uh, Japan managed to put themselves into were, were gaps in the midfield where Roger Tuivasa-Shek should have been in position. And I'm not saying Roger Tuivasa-Shek had a bad game. I thought there were some good things he did where he caught that ball off the overthrow and line out, mm. popped it up for Severi Reese. Yeah, yeah, good offence. His defence game, not so solid. Um, right. I think Braden Enor... Average again, yes. Uh, he picked himself up a try in the in the 25th minute. I thought was a great try, uh, but I also think you put Rico Ioane in that jersey would have done the exact same thing. Um, yep. So I think not all of our faults, but some of our faults were made in the midfield. And what do you think of the Brody Retallick red card? Obviously, we were all in the room with a, a few beacons there, and we, we saw that. A few players said yellow. A few people said that's bullshit, and we said red. What did you reckon? Uh, obviously, you just said it. We said red at the yep. time. Um, you look at the way the rule is now. Anyone makes that move, it would have been the same decision. He's yep. been given two weeks for it. Um, he spends, you know, a couple of weeks on the sideline now. It, it ruins his tour. Okay, I think it's one of those things that the way the rule book is now, and they're getting it to a better stage where that is the rule. You know, if you do that, this is what you're going to get. It'll be two weeks. You get a red card. Blah blah blah. The boys tried arguing it with us um, when we were watching the game around at our mate's place, and I think we both knew at that stage it was direct contact to the head. And that, that's what I like about how New Zealand rugby are going about things. Is it's so clear now. If you do that, you know it's a red card. Yeah, I suppose it's the difference between the older and the younger generation, isn't it? Yeah. They were kind of, you know, back in the olden days, that probably wasn't even a card. You know, it wouldn't have been replayed on TV. Uh, and Hamino, I think Hamino was the one he ran into, was it? Yeah, I think, I so. think he was he was very low. So, you know, in Brody Retallick's defence, it was pretty hard to get on top of him. But as soon as that contact's made to that head, uh, you know that it's going to be a red card. And we spoke about that to Ben O'Keefe uh, previously, I think in the first few episodes where we spoke to him, he uh, he agreed. Yeah, and I think it is one of those things that it is tough for Brody Wittalik, um now sort of sort of leaving um, the All Blacks, not leaving the All Blacks camp, but sort of you know leaving behind that as his last you know last straw. I guess you could sort of say you know that's the last thing he'll be remembered for on this tour until he gets selected again after those two weeks. Um, by that stage, does someone else prove themselves in that lock area? You know. Uh, I think it's going to be Barrett and White, um, Whitelock now. Obviously, Whitelock's the new captain with Sam Kane being mm. out. So I think that's something interesting to look at as well, that this could really, really change the All Blacks tour. And does Brady Retallick, you know, earn himself that spot again? Yeah, I suppose it's a, re- it's a really difficult one, especially with, as you're saying, a lot of players uh, missing out on the tour or, you know, for, for reasons outside of rugby. Um but yeah, I think it's going to be it's going to be easy for Brody Retallick to slide back in. I think he is an important player in that side. Um, but yeah, others not so much. Ford Pack for Japan. What did you think of them? What did you think of scrumming? I thought they were strong. Um, obviously, I came in sort of halfway through. I just played cricket that day, so I, I missed a lot of it. But I think uh, watching the highlights previous uh, later on, I thought the uh, the Ford Pack from from Japan was strong, and and they were quick. Do you think that the All Blacks are missing some of those big front rowers like Zagruda? Um, you know, obviously Sammy Sonny Takoyaho got got a start in the end. Do you think they were sort of missing having that core there in training all week? Yeah, I think um, it, it did show that we were kind of lacking. I don't know if we were lacking in uh, in talent. I think we were just lacking in probably a bit of camaraderie, uh, yep. you know, a bit of flow uh, together. So I think, yeah, if, if you were to look at that game, we probably would have done better with a, with a starting forward pack with Gruda, as you said. So, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one. Underestimated, yes or no? No. No? No. I think... I think Surprised, maybe, yep. but not underestimated. I think, okay. yeah, surprised. You know, you're playing Japan in a sold-out stadium. As soon as they get a try, there's going to be a hiss and a roar, and they're going to be up for it no matter what. Everyone wants to play the All Blacks, and everyone wants to beat the All Blacks. How many points would the All Blacks have put on Japan if they had started a number one team? Yeah, I think... Um, Hang on, was that a number one team? 
No, yeah, it wasn't. Exactly. Um, I think Pirafesa didn't play very well in the 15 jersey. I just yep. want to highlight that. Uh, and it didn't help Moanga's game as well. I thought he pl- he played a, you know, a few good, you know, that, obviously that chip kick that uh, ended up Brad- Braden Enor's try. Um, but, you know, other other areas were, were lacking, weren't they? And I think that was just that sort of spine combo that was missing. I think Moanga sort of felt the need to sort of fill the midfield that little bit as well and, and Phil for Pura Fieta, I sort of felt like he felt like he had to be that man that was everywhere still a bit much um, you mm. know and I think he just needed to focus more on his game um, mm. yeah Braden Enor did you like him? No I've never really liked Braden Enor okay. I don't think he's good enough um, he's one of those standard players that he's just always he's always going to be a great um, in that sort of super rugby region but I yep. don't think he's going up to that All Blacks I don't think he can compete with the likes of Rico Ioane that's mm. for sure yep. Rico Ioane and David Havili on a, on a good day are pretty hard to stop Leonard Brown? Leonard Brown. He came off the bench really well, didn't he? I thought he was great. He was awesome. Yeah, he, he filled that role really, really, really well. Uh, there was one thing, and I think it was the Japanese last try, he sort of switched out. Did you see that? Mm. And he left that, that gap beside the ruck. But I think that was just um, spur of the moment. You know, you can't yeah, really do too much Yeah, split-minute decision. That's yeah. the thing. Uh, one thing I did see online this week, Ethan DeGroote was in the sheds having a catch-up with a few players. He spoke to Dalton Papali'i and um, Daniel Leonard Brown as well. And Anton Leonard Brown, sorry. And that's what Anton Leonard Brown said, how, how much it means to him to be back in the black jersey. So that's, that's awesome. a reason that I have a lot of respect for him as a player, is how much he treasures being in the black jersey. And I think it's always been something that has been sort of noted um, across world rugby. Yeah, and I suppose while we're on the rugby yarn, we should talk about quickly the New Zealand making the semi-final. So mm. uh, congratulations to the New Zealand women who beat uh, Wales 55-3 in, uh, in, that, in their quarter-final game. So yeah. congrats to them and good luck against France in the uh, semi-final. Looking forward to following that game there. Well, Joey, awesome. do you reckon it's time? I think it's time, mate. Should we uh, get my blower out and give old uh, Marty Banks a call? That's pretty. That sounds pretty cool, mate. Is it Marty or Martin? What are we doing? Martin, I think. Martin? No, nah, we'll go Wikipedia Marty. says Martin. Does it? It does. Oh. All right. I wonder what he thinks about that. Have to find out. Right. Let's catch up with Marty Banks here at Bats, Balls and Blokes. Bats, Balls and Blokes with Corbin and Joe. Oi, oi. Well, Joey, super excited to welcome our next special guest to the pod. And uh, we've been looking at this one here for a while. We've tried to be in touch with him and he was denying. Reckon he had nothing else to say on uh, any podcast. Reckon he said everything that there is to say, so we're going to try and challenge that and uh, do some different things. You excited? I'm excited, Matt. Well, the crowd tells the story. Banks converts the penalty, and the Highlanders in front. Marty Banks looking to bring up 100 points for the Marcos. Help yourself, Adler Banks. Banks sends it into the evening sky. It's a good strike from Marty Banks, heading towards the posts, and up go the flags. So on the stroke of half-time, the Maroon Army's on their feet with Marty Banks kicking the penalty goal. It's a three-point ball game. Well, yes, on the back of that awesome audio snippet, it's time to introduce 33-year-old rugby legend Marty Banks. Marty has played rugby all over the world from Russia, Japan and Italy to where he now resides in the Deep South. He has scored over 750 NPC points for both Tasman and the Stags and over 250 points in Super Rugby with both the Hurricanes and his current franchise, the Hollanders. The first five slash fullback joins us now. Welcome, Marty. Yeah, g'day, lads. It's been a, it's been a long time coming, hasn't it? I bloody, I was going to avoid you for as long as I could, to be fair. Um, I heard Robbie Robinson jump on the mic, uh, what was it, last week, I think it was. And I think he actually spoke to us um, after a few beers, I think it was. And I was actually in room with Robbie. And 
I remember saying if, if Robbie did it, I'd do it. And I sort of thought Robbie wouldn't follow through. So I thought I was in the home and home and hosed. And um, Robbie sort of threw me under the bus and said I was a good bloke. So I don't know if that's true. So I guess I, if I can live up to his words and, and jump on the mic because um, I was going to avoid you. But I guess when he says I'm a man of my word, I probably should front and, uh, front and get on here. So cheers for having me. Like I, like I said, and you actually reiterated it, that I don't think there's much more to say. So we'll see what you've got in store for me. All right. Well, we are very, very persistent. We make sure we get what we want. That's how we roll around here. Yeah, it's good stuff. We've got a piece of uh, Robbie audio later on, so uh, we'll, we'll surprise you with that one too. But we might as well open it up and start with where you started in your rugby journey. I understand you went to Christchurch Boys. Talk us through that and where you went uh, after that. Yeah, finished up at Christchurch Boys. Uh, the old lady, I'm from the west coast of the South Island, so pretty small place, but I think the old lady and that got sick of me um, lingering around the house, so they sent me to boarding school for a year, probably trying to straighten me out a little bit, pulled me into line. But um, so I went over there for my last year of school, 2017. Um, no, not 2017, 2007. I wish it was 2017. Um, went over there for my last year, and um, yeah, it was awesome. I went over there sort of for cricket and rugby. Um, but when I got over there, Christ, it's boys are bloody pretty strong at cricket. Um, I sort of went over there and played. I think I played two games. I don't even think it was the second eleven, maybe third eleven. I think it was, and I sort of said after the first and second game, I was like, "Look, is there any chance of um, me getting pushed into a second eleven or anything like that?" And like, uh, they said, "Pretty honest, like they're pretty settled in the second eleven and first eleven." And I was like, "Oh, this is." It was just wasn't great. I think I went out and got a hundred in my first game, and then got five wickets in the next, and oh, it was just man. yeah. <laughs> it was only third eleven cricket, and I was just it wasn't getting much out of it, so. The cricket probably ended there, and um, I probably pursued rugby from that point on. Still dabbled in cricket um, outside of school for a few years, but um, sort of yeah, fell into the rugby pretty early on um, out of school with Sydney Rugby Club. So um, that's sort of where I ended up out of school. Um, followed a bunch of boys that went there from uh, St. Bede's and, and Boys High. So Elliot Dixon was one of them. Um, Tyler Blindale, uh, who else went? Wow. I think Toulouse Vianu uh, went the year after. So um, there was a bunch of boys that sort of just grouped together um, and looked to strengthen a team that was probably struggling a little bit at the time. I think the normal progression, I guess, is from Christchurch boys to go to high school old boys. But I didn't really have an affiliation with high school old boys, so I was pretty open to ideas. And um, Sydney, I think, at the time were second or second to last. And um, we sort of went there and bumped them up. We couldn't win a title, um, even though we had a heap of boys go. We uh, lost to Tom Taylor, I think, in the, in the semi-final or in the final at Colts. And then uh, we could never make the final at senior footy. But um, the club sort of progressed from back then. They were always a sort of strong club back in the day and went through a period there where they struggled a little bit. But um, it's cool to see the club sort of progress now. And I think they uh, finally won their, their final this year, which is pretty cool to see after a long time of trying. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting stuff. I obviously play for the uh, Sydney cricket team, so uh, we're we're pretty close to home there. Um, just sort of, how did you get into that sort of Canterbury uh, union scene? I understand you're in the extended squad. Yeah, I, out of school, I sort of played Canterbury age grade stuff. I think I played 18, I don't know what it was back then, 19, maybe 20s and 21s, and then um, never actually played Canterbury B because by that time I sort of moved on. But um, yeah, sort of chipping away there. I, I think that's probably where... Um, the Sydney Rugby Club helped me a lot. There was some good good fellows through there that sort of always pushed your case and probably got the, the ears of the coaches and, um, you know, from 
pushed their players forward, which was pretty cool. And we had some players there that were awesome. Like some of the guys went to the grades pretty quick and became crusaders and that um, within a couple of years. And um, I was a bit of a slow burner. I chipped away and played uh, crusaders development for a couple of years and um, probably just didn't apply myself uh, enough probably at that age when I was sort of around 20 and that to, to make the step up. I think when I finally did uh, play NPC, I was probably still too small, too scrawny, and now I was just probably lucky to be in a, a pretty awesome team. So yeah. at the time where I was sort of trying to play for Canterbury, I definitely wasn't ready, um, definitely mentally and physically, um, even though I wanted to be. But um, So it was probably a good thing that I sort of delayed my start, I guess. And, and when I made it at Tasman, um, I was slightly ready, even though um, I probably wasn't fully ready then either. Skip forward a few years. Obviously, nowadays we sit at six hundred and you know twenty eight points for the Tasman Marco. What was the whole journey into getting into that sort of squad? Was it an easy choice for you to sign with them? Um, no, so I think I went to, I went to Russia in two thousand and eleven. Um, came back from Russia, um, and then I was talking to uh, Sydney again. I started playing club rugby for Sydney. To have a, I was keen on having a crack at the Canterbury NPC squad and. I think I played four or five games that year and then uh, did my MCL, I think it was. And it was about 10-week injury, I think it was. And during that time, the Canary NPC team got named, um, which obviously wasn't in. Uh, probably wouldn't have been in it even if I was fit, to be fair. But so when I came back from the injury, Buller, so I'm from Buller, obviously, and um, just fell into place that I'd go play for Buller for um, the end of the season. So went and played the Heartland competition, which was pretty cool. And from there, um, I met a couple of blokes through the, the team. So we had a couple of lone players from Nelson and um, Ben Coman and um, James Foster and Craig Moore, the blokes. And they sort of convinced me to go up and play in Nelson. Um, one of them was from Wymere and two of them from Nelson Rugby Club. Um, so they sort of made me pick and choose which, which team to go to. And I ended up going to Wymere, which was uh, Ben Coman's club and, um, sort of went under his wing for a, a year there and um, had a crack. I think I broke my hand at the first training, so I got there on a Tuesday um, in the warm-up, played touch and broke my hand. So it was about six weeks or eight weeks or whatever it was. So Far out. came in to have a crack at trying to play for Tasman and got injured on the day one. So um, anyway, I got through that, um, played some footy on the back end of the injury and came to Tasman, I guess Tasman naming, uh, and again, like I said, like I, I probably wasn't ready to play NPC at that stage. Um, mm. Even though I was pretty naive in my head, I was like, I'm definitely ready. Um, didn't get the, uh, didn't make the cut, so missed out. There were three of us trying to fit into two spots, and they took two other fellas, which is probably fair enough. But um, yeah, and it probably wasn't till I think it was second round. I think two boys got injured, and I got called in for the round three game um, against County's Manukau. So it was sort of that's sort of where it all turned, I guess. So the coaches went from saying that I wasn't ready, and in my eyes I was, but now I'm a bit older and wiser, I definitely wasn't. Um, so yeah, sort of played, what I do leading up to that, played Nelson B's, oh, Tasman B, sorry, for maybe two games, and then got called in. I think Robbie Robbie Melnick got injured. So that's where I got my look in, and you know, it was week-by-week week contract. So um, if I played crap, I was probably on the on the outer. So I was just lucky our team was going awesome. Um at that stage, and they sort of piggybacked me through that year and um, opened a few doors for me, which was, you know, pretty, pretty lucky to be a part of that group because um, at the time we didn't have many super rugby players in the team, but by the end of that season, I think most of the boys were contracted. So um, it was just sort of a golden period for coming through the grades there. 
And in 2014, you were named in the Hurricanes. What was the difference in your eyes uh, between that sort of NPC set up at Tasman uh, and going into that higher higher honours with the Hurricanes? Um, yeah, bugger all, mate. I earlier that year, so that's uh, was it? Yeah, so 2013. So 2013 was my Tasman year, and then uh, moved down to the, moved up to the Hurricanes at the end of 2013. But I actually signed my Hurricanes contract before I signed the Tasman Marco contract. Far out. Um, so I played, how many games? I think it was maybe three or four games. Uh, so I played three or four for Tasman, and that's when I spoke to the Hurricanes um, and then signed with the Hurricanes after, yeah, so it was three or four games. I can't remember exactly. But, yeah, it was crazy because earlier that year, I actually played a game for Reefton. So I went from playing wow. for Reefton for a game, um, playing Tasman Marker, and then probably within the space of six months, I was debuting. Um, in South Africa for the hurricane. So wow. not much change physically, mentally. Like it was just, yeah, like I, I was just lucky enough to be in a team like the Marco at the time. Um, and we were going real well. And yeah, like it just helped push my case, I guess. And yeah, going to the to the hurricanes, it was a pretty awesome, awesome thrill and uh, obviously awesome achievement. But yeah, like I think mentally, I just probably wasn't ready. Um, and I probably learned a few harsh lessons um, through the hurricane season, which, you know, put me in better stead now. But, um, yeah, just physically and mentally probably wasn't ready for that level, even though I thought I was. Um, it's when you get up there and actually mix it with, you know, some of the best in the world, um, you find out you're, you're like pretty close to, you know, you sort of live on the edge of a good game and a bad game. And mm. um, I think about four or five games into the hurricane season, I had a very bad game and, um, learned a lot of lessons and um, had to take that on the chin. But you know, like I loved every, every minute the Hurricanes, and um, like without that season, I probably wouldn't still probably be playing professionally. I don't think like it was harsh lesson to learn, but um, I wow. think that that's probably where you learn the best at times. Is you know, if everything goes perfectly, you probably don't you know get that little bit of metal in your chest and, and have to suck it up every now and then. So it was good to get it early, um, even though it hurt. Um, you know, it was a long season after that holding tackle bags, but yes, that's what you got to do when you're in your apprenticeship, I guess. Mm, that's right. Obviously, yeah, this week when we were sort of preparing for the pod, we did a little bit of research uh, into your career and all the teams you've played with and that sort of stuff. And, and a lot of the articles talk about your time with the Hurricanes and how that was sort of make or break for you. And after that, it almost looked like that was it for you uh, until the Highlanders came calling in 2015. Since then, they've got 246 games for them with 51 uh, points. You've obviously returned back to them after a bit of time away. Uh, what was the feeling, you know, getting that call from the Highlanders and uh, getting it amongst their setup? Yeah, oh, because. What happened was there, so after the hurricane season, I only signed one year contract with the Hurricanes, and I wasn't happy with how I played. And uh, I was sort of, I was thrilled to obviously go up to Wellington and um, get a taste of it, I guess. So I came back from the Hurricanes and um, actually probably had my best NPC season after that because I guess I came back with a bit of a, um, you know, just a shit feeling in my gut that I'd sort of blown off a few opportunities there and um, yeah. came back and I sort of, sort of backed myself and bet on myself that um, I needed to um, play some good footy. So the Hurricanes, after a few games, they said they were keen to re-sign me. And oh, I just, it just didn't sit well that I'd gone there and um, they played pretty poorly. And um, I mean, if I went back there, I would have been probably holding tackle bags again. Um, you know, just waiting for another opportunity. And at that level, it's pretty tough to get an opportunity once sort of a guy like Nicky Minnescutter comes in and establishes himself and becomes an all black and stuff like that like it, it just would have been a, a dead end and it would have been you know part of the group but I just needed to 
put a count in front of myself and that was to try and, I guess, find another team and play some good footy and push my case. And that's pretty much what I did. So I'd, I said no to the Hurricanes. I didn't have anything else um, on the table. So sort of a bit of a gamble um, with the career, I guess. And um, yeah, I just put the bit between, me, between my teeth and just went out there to play some good footy. And um, turned out that after a few more games, the, the Highlanders gave me a call and Obviously, I knew they had Lima and Hayden Parker down there, but you know it was a bit of a fresh start, and um, you know I'd had a taste of the Hurricanes, and I think that put me in good stead to go down to the Highlanders and mm. you know really rip in. And um, I knew I knew my place would be behind Lima and probably sitting uh, on even keel there with Hayden Parker to try and fill the bench spot. But I sort of thought I could go down there and, and push Lima because I was playing some decent footy at the time, and you know, I came down and I remember Lima played the first game and he got part of the match and. I remember after the game, like, Jamie uh, Joseph came up and shoulders at me and said, "Oh, you're starting next week." And I was sitting wow. there thinking, I was like, "I barely even got. I don't even think I got off the bench. I might have got off in ten minutes or something." I was like, "How can you? How can you start me after Lima's just gone out there and had a blinder?" But um, Lima actually had a, a family thing he had to attend, and so that helped me a little bit because I was like, "Shit!" Like I felt pretty bad during the week, and then I found out Lima was actually off up to Wellington, um, so it sort of settled the nerves a little bit. I mean, I got part of the game that match and I was like shit I might have a look in here and then Lima came back round three and um, got part of, of the tournament and um, Super Bowl of the year I think it was and <laughs> became an all black and sort of put that argument to bed so I was sort of played second fiddle to Lima there and, but it was awesome though, learning off him and obviously don't have the skill set that Lima had but just learning and watching him go about his work and um, meeting some good blokes it was just I guess the Highlanders um, culture and just the way things are done down here sort of suits me down to the ground and um, you know I felt, felt at home pretty early on down here and good bunch of blokes um, you know we had a heap of blokes from all over the place that sort of came together and um, having I guess their first crack at Super Rugby some of us and um, yeah just sort of the perfect storm I guess came down and the boys had an awesome year and they won a championship so can't really argue too much Mm, yeah, exactly. Obviously, you spoke about Liam Sopawanga there. Just quickly, do you still keep in touch with players like him that were sort of there uh, in your early Super Rugby days? Yeah, me and Liam are good mates. Um, sort of obviously with him over there, the communication lines are probably slowed down a little bit, but we always throw a bit of chat back and forth. And um, yeah, like it, you run into boys that uh, you played with during those earlier years and scattered across the world. And it's always, you know, it's always good just to catch up and chew the fat a bit. And, mm. Yeah, like the boys are scattered everywhere now, so it's been a few years. What is it, 2015? So, yeah, we're, in, we're into it pretty deep now, so the boys are you know, moved on now and onto bigger and better things. But um, I think I might be the only one left, possibly, um, in the Highlanders from that year, I think. Off the top of my head, there wouldn't be many more. Josh Honick was there uh, this season, which was nice, having another older fella, but that might be it. So... Yeah, sort of mm-hmm. the younger breeds coming through now, so it's just crazy how quickly it changes. You know, like I think I was twenty-three-ish, and now guys are debuting at nineteen and twenty or twenty years old or whatever it is. It's, uh, it's pretty crazy how the games advanced, and um, sort of pretty cool being a part of it. I guess watching some of these young buggers come through. And you spoke about the, uh, the the gamble it was to sort of leave the Hurricanes um, hanging there, but you, you played them in the final the next year and, and won a championship. How how good did that championship feel, and how how much do you reckon that helped you sort of pave your career in the end? The championship, yeah, it was. Uh, oh mate, it was just that year. I think like the, I remember the preseason and that the because we're all in pretty early. Uh, none of us were all black except for Nuggie and 
uh, a couple of others like uh, maybe Muller might have been ill back then I'm not too sure but there's a couple of boys away but most of us were there from day dot getting flogged at pre-season and um, yeah I think like just the way we you know became friends pretty quickly and um, we're all down there for a common purpose like a lot of a lot of guys didn't get picked up by the home franchises I guess so came down to the Landers and um, we're a bunch of misfits I guess some, some would say and um, yeah, like I said, it was just a perfect storm of boys that have probably had a bit of a chip on their shoulder and uh, wanted to prove a few people wrong. Like, we had a board pack that just outworked teams and um, on paper, you probably didn't give us a chance, but just a, a bit of passion and a bit of hard work and just some good blokes. Um, yeah, and I think just the camaraderie you had, it's pretty cliche, but like it's just been a massive way for us to just, you know, push forward as a team. Because like, there's some times where we were up against some pretty awesome squads, you know, like the Chiefs. Definitely. Yeah. Um, we played some like defending champions there, like the Chiefs, uh, the Waratahs, the recent champions, and the Crusaders and stuff like that. And like we were going week in, week out versus these teams, and probably given no chance by a lot of people throughout the whole season. And um, going up to the Canes, we were given zero chance, I think, by pretty much everyone outside of our group, other than the, the passionate Highlander supporters, probably rid us off um, before the playoffs even started. You know, we had a pretty tough run. We had the Chiefs into the Waratahs. I mean, into the Hurricanes, who were pretty much untouchable that year at home. So, mm. um, you know, like it was, yeah, going up there was underdogs, complete underdogs. I guess probably um, sat pretty well with us. You know, we went up there with probably nothing to lose and everything to gain. So, yeah, it was a, it was a sweet homecoming, like going up there and playing against the heap of boys that I became good mates with the year before. But um, it was it was a, a sweet, sweet moment when uh, you know seeing the boys that had lifted the trophy at the end it was pretty cool so you know it's something that you can never take away with it uh, take away from that group so mm. yeah like it's yeah, it's pretty cool it's been a long time uh, it's been a long time since we've had a crack at uh, winning another final but uh, that group you know it's sort of Highlanders history now that that group sort of got the job done and yeah it was just, it was just a special special team and a special occasion it was a week that sort of went by pretty quick. I think we got a massive storm midweek. I think we trained pretty much on the field. It was pretty much underwater, so it wasn't the greatest, but you know, we treasured it and got stuck in and came well for good. Awesome. Yeah, obviously you made your return to the Highlanders again. Of course, you moved down to Southland and linked up with the Stags for their 2021 season in the Bunnings NBC and linked up with a Super Rugby contract again in 2022 with the Highlanders. What did it mean to you to be pulling on the Blues jersey again and, and you know running out in front of a packed-out zoo? Yeah, it was um, yeah, it was a tough one. So I came back from Japan, and uh, it was all intentions to go back uh, to Japan. To be fair, after COVID, and um, was sort of time one season for the Stags, and just trying to pick up a contract in Japan. And I sort of had one roughly lined up to go back um, if I wanted to. And after being home for the Stags season, so it was all up. It was NPC plus a couple of months. I actually played a few games for Sydney uh, just to keep fit. Um, for the stag season, um, mm. I think just being home it sort of just put things into perspective that it was, it was a good time to stay home for a bit and um, sort of speaking to the Highlanders and I think Joshua he wanted to move on uh, up to the Chiefs, so um, they needed a ten to they needed a ten to come in before they could release Josh. I think whatever deal they had, but obviously couldn't leave themselves short by releasing Josh and then having having no one else to come in. So um, that sort of played a part. So. Um, Josh he wanted to take off and opened a gap there so yeah it was pretty cool um, uh, 
uh, it's a team that's sort of got a special place, place in my heart and um, sort of never really had a home after I left the West Coast. I've always sort of been scattered around the place and um, this Dunedin is probably the, the closest thing to call home um, that I've had for a long, long time. So, you know, to come back here, um, also for the last, last season and this season, it's pretty cool. Um, the, the scenery's changed a little bit in terms of the squad, but, um, you know, it's just still the, still the same team and um, still the same crest on our chest that, you know, means the world to us, a lot of us boys. And, um, yeah, it's just cool. Like, obviously, there's going to be a different coaching group this year, um, which will add a bit of excitement and, uh, you know, a bit of a change of perspective by, by a few of the coaches. So, should breathe a bit of uh, fresh air into the into the team as well. So excited for that, and um, you know we've got three more weeks before preseason, and before we get um, our asses handed to us, I guess, for two months, which will be good time. Um, when you get older, you sort of look less and less forward to, to preseason. But um, yeah, there's way it is. You've got to get through it to, to get to the to the season. So we'll put our heads down and, and knuckle through. But yeah, it's sort of part of the season where you just rip in and get to know the blokes that have come into the team and build those bonds and hopefully come out the back end of a pre-season ready to go for a pretty grueling season now. It's bloody pretty tough work, the old um, Super Rugby Pacific. I suppose before we sort of keep talking about the Highlanders and, and Stags campaign this year, I really want to briefly uh, speak about your time in Japan and how how did you find playing overseas and, and was it different to New Zealand rugby and, and how was it different? Yeah, I, Japan was, um, yeah, Robbie's probably talked about it. I don't know, sort of what his, I've actually talked about his experience. was there for quite a while, but so I played in Italy and Japan, and Italy was, uh, was awesome. But, well, the, the culture and the lifestyle was, you know, was pretty awesome. You know, they have little siestas halfway during the day. I think they take about three hours off work and <laughs> go and have smoke and eat some cheese and all sorts of stuff. But, no beers for you, though, Marty? Uh, hey? No beers for you? No, no beers for me, mate. I couldn't. Uh, what do they drink? Aperol Spirit. So I had one of them, and I couldn't couldn't get it down my gut. It was just a horrible taste. Um, so like that, that, their culture was, you know, pretty relaxed, and mm. um, you know, the Italy's lifestyle was awesome. And getting to know the boys, it's obviously a language barrier there, but um, you know, they they were awesome. And I guess in terms of rugby, like that, that level was pr- pretty similar to uh, other than like Leinster and that. Like Leinster were, you know, just as good as any Super Rugby team, but. Um, a lot of it was sort of between NPC and Super Rugby level, probably. Um, obviously, the top teams were were pretty sharp, but we were sort of sitting around that mid table, and um, like we were handy, but we just we wouldn't push teams like Leinster at that time. But um, yeah, so that was all good. But then coming back to Japan, like it was uh, three years, I think I was there for, and the culture shock was not huge, but they're just a great, great like culture. You know, they just sort of do anything for you, uh, make you feel at home as much as possible. Um, so I guess you had to respect that. You know, you couldn't take them for granted. You know, you had to give a bit of yourself to them and, um, you know, offer as much as you could because you're pretty much there for a lot of them boys as pretty much a coach as well. you sort of got to help out there and help out behind the scenes and take a bit of a load off the coaches because there's a massive squad. I think our team had probably about 50-odd, uh, maybe even more. So we had a lot of um, workers that would come in and train and then go back to work. So most of the boys held down a full-time job. Jeez. And then, a, yeah, so they'd either work on their days off or play rugby. So that was sort of their job. So when they weren't playing rugby, they'd be in the office. So, you know, they'd, they'd get into work at seven or whatever and get home at 
six or seven. You know, they did massive days. So the boys, when they got the chance to be on the rugby field, they, they were out there as much as possible because if they stayed on the field till five o'clock, they didn't have to go to work. So, like, seeing that, like, yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. And you go, you, even on the training, that you'd go to train in the morning, go to training in the morning, and you'd see these people pretty much, they'd be asleep on the train because all they do is they'll get up, go to work, come home, have dinner, go to sleep. And that's their day. Like, they, they, they just on repeat pretty much the whole week. They work massive hours. This is just the cut of the people, everyday people, you know. Like, um, I think there's like death just because they overwork. So they overwork to the point of exhaustion. So, um, yeah, just the Japanese way, man. They just work and work and work. And when with their rugby, it's the same. Like they'll just train and train and train and train. It's uh, you know, just in their in their culture, I guess. So seeing that was, you know, pretty cool. Um, I don't know if I'll be able to handle it. Like some of these boys that do a gym session before training, have a massive training day, that field, do an extra I don't know, half an hour, 45 minutes, and they'd go back in the gym and do another gym session. Like, they'd just all go. And it was, yeah, like, I, I, my body wouldn't handle it. I would have broken down real quick. But they just loved it. Um, so, so, yeah, it was pretty cool. But the way they went about things, like, we'd always have camps, and we'd shoot away for two weeks, and they'd cart up all the gym stuff. They would load up all the gym stuff in the, in the truck, and they'd truck it up. They'd unload it, we'd set it up in a tent. Like, so we'd just go away and have these camps where we probably could have just had the camp at our training base and had the gym all set up, but they just loved it. Like, they'd go away, um, just train like we would at home anyway, and um, just sleep in a hotel, which was the only difference. So, yeah, it was a bit, of, it was a bit different how things are done like that. Like, probably the, the simplest route was never really taken. It was always sort of find the hardest route to, to achieve something and have, I'll go about it that way. But, yeah, like it was. The time where it was pretty cool, and I'd definitely go back um, if I got the chance. But we'll just see what happens at, at the end of this year. But um, the boys were—they just love a beer. Like they, um, it was crazy. They'll have a beer, and the more beer they have, um, they just start getting red because I don't know. If they, like they just charge. Like they just drink piss. Like it's, it's water, and they'll drink it for two hours, and they'll pretty much fall over because they drink way too much than their body can handle. And um, so it was pretty entertaining drinking with them. They sort of come out of their shelves, shelves a little bit. Um, they're pretty quiet um, sort of people at the start, but you get a few beers under their belt and they really rip in and get the karaoke yarn and buddy, start speaking English that they say they can't speak <laughs> until they get a few beers under their belt. So, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool though. Like, yeah, like um, a couple of them came out to New Zealand. Uh, four or five of them came out for a season with the Hollanders and just trained alongside them. So I think for them to see that side of it, um, see the Highlanders go about their work. I think sort of going back, they sort of apply it to their team because there's a massive the gap closing a little bit, but like between some of these top teams like Suntory and, and then the bottom teams of the top tier. So at the time there was Division One and Division Two pretty much. Now there's Div One, Div Two, Div Three. So they're trying to close the gap, I guess, because there's such a massive gap between the top team, which at the time was Kobe when I was there, and they had Dan Carter, Andy Ellis. Wow. Um, who else did they have? They had oh, Richard Buckman was there. Oh, um, Barracuda. Yeah, Barracuda. But oh, Brody Retallick, like we played them in my second year there and we got beat in 97 nil. So wow. it was, uh, yeah, just a, just the difference between the top teams and the bottom teams were, it was pretty skewed, but they've shortened it up. I think there's eight teams in the top division now, which is good because it had to happen. It was just sending teams out for slaughter. So, um, but you just look at the guys going over there now, like some of the foreigners and that man, like 
some of them teams are stacked. So like that's Sunstory team and Panasonic and that they'll probably go pretty well. Um, and then around Super Rugby, I reckon. Yeah, wow. Uh, obviously, we yeah. saw a, saw a bit of a touch of uh, rugby from Japan in the weekend when the All Blacks came up against them. Do you think the All Blacks underestimated Japan in the weekend? No, I wouldn't have thought so. It's uh, it would be a tough tough team to play. You know, like Japan's like obviously Tony Brown and Jamie Joseph and that they're now like they're always just going to come at you. And I think they've just like the rugby in Japan has progressed a heap. Like I remember back in the day when I was younger, everyone used to talk about how they go over and all the professional players were going over holidays and you'd heaps of cash. So I guess the competition back then was quite easy. And, mm. But now, man, like some of these Japanese guys, they're, they're just freaks. Hey, like, um, and then you add into the mix of guys that are foreign that have been over there for four or five years and become Japanese qualified. Like, that competition's just going to get stronger and stronger. The Japanese team's obviously going to benefit from it. Like, mm. the skill level of that's just unmatched. Like, they, they just train the house down and, like, it's got to come to a point where that, you know, transition, uh, you know, transpires into something at international level, and it sort of has. You know, like obviously it wasn't probably All Blacks' best game or All Blacks' best team, but like it's still the All Blacks, and like New Zealand rugby is obviously pretty handy. You could probably pick three pretty handy All Blacks teams from. You know, look at this All Blacks 15 team that's gone over there, and um, you put them into an international game, and they're going to go well. And you know, so it doesn't really matter that. You know, weakened All Blacks team like the Japanese guys. To be fair, I thought they were actually going to win it there for a period, especially late in that second half. Mm, like they yeah. just come, they just go and go. Like they're fit as hell, um, and they're so passionate, man. Like as soon as they got a sniff, you know, the crowd would have been in behind them, and um, you know, the, the Japanese culture. They're so passionate about everything they do, and um, you know, like sort of sitting on the fence. Obviously, I'm a passionate Kiwi, and hate to see the All Blacks lose, but obviously, I know how much it means to the Japanese team to to beat the All Blacks so I was sort of in between obviously I sort of wanted the All Blacks to win but it wouldn't have hurt me that much if Japanese team won because it would have just you know they would have just lost the plot like uh, yeah it was yeah it was pretty cool to watch to be fair it was um, was probably a perfect storm between All Blacks being slightly off and the Japanese being playing some good footy that sort of turned it into a pretty good game to watch Mm, yeah, exactly. Let's jump back in, and this is sort of a, a two-part question. Obviously, off the back of another tough season for the uh, SBS Bank South and Stags, things that are there for the past few seasons have been and been you know very tough on everyone. Um, talk us through what you think the changes could be for the Stags, and do we see you in the maroon and gold come twenty twenty three? Yeah, it's, uh, it's it's a tough one. The old Stags, they eh? like it. Um, being a part of the team last year, like it, yeah, like our results. I guess the win loss record was not pretty, but. Like, there's a lot of games in those, I don't know how many we've played, probably 20. There's a lot of games within those games that we probably should have won, especially this year. We probably should have won our first three yeah. against, uh, who did we play? Auckland, Otago. Tasman. Who was the other one? Auckland, Otago. Tasman? Tasman, yeah, Tasman's first game. So, you know, like, and that, that just changes your whole season if you can, you know, pick up even two wins there. But, um, yeah, it's just it's just frustrating that, we can get so close, but uh, we just have little lapses um, and let teams off. Like, all it takes is probably 10 minutes of poor rugby, get it between the game, and it's like 30 odd points these days. Like, we were scoring 30 points a game after some games, and that should really win you a game. Mm. And uh, the year before, our defence was actually pretty sharp. Like, we, if we defended like we did last year, this year, we'd probably win you know, three or four games. But because our attack was actually 
a lot better this year, but our defence slipped by the wayside, which is pretty frustrating because um, there were games there to be won. Um, obviously, you got a hiding by a couple of teams, Hawks Bay, uh, Waikato, when DMAC came on. Um, Bay of Plenty put us a sort of bit too, but um, I, mean, I think, who did we lose to at the end there? Bloody. Um, I mean, you're very slow, you're good now. Harbour, Harbour, yeah. So, I disregard those games. Like, we're sort of, the boys were, we had 17 injuries by the end of the year, I think, after the Bay of Plenty game. I looked around and we had 17 guys on the sideline and most of them probably were starters. So, wow. um, so that's pretty tough, um, I guess, to, to play a bit, get challenged there a little bit. But um, there's so much ticker and like, it's, all it's going to take is the boys to get off to a decent start and... Um, it probably changes the season, but yeah, I think like yeah, I don't know how we fix it. I don't know how. Yeah, just the boys just probably have to apply themselves a bit more and um, you know be a bit more honest. I think the culture down there is awesome. Like the the boys are great. Like a lot of teams, if, if they lost ninety percent of their game for a year, there'd be so much bad blood within that squad. Like I just you know like down at Southland, like the wheels just. They probably fell off on the field in terms of results, but within the group, like there was no bad blood, and the boys would turn up every week and work awesome. hard, and um, you know, it sort of says a lot about the group. And I think Southland deserves to get some decent results on on the board, and I hope next year it is. But it's, yeah, it's just one of these things. I think uh, yeah, like it's just going to take a little bit of momentum early on, and I think that's all it was—a little bit of belief. Because I guess when you start losing a few games, you start doubting what, what we're doing and you start sort of trying to over force your hand and that's probably where things start going a bit pear-shaped but um, there's some good boys down there um, probably just need to get some I guess it's hard for us because we've only got sort of a small pack um, sort of hard to get game line and momentum I guess when you're playing somebody in big teams and that's probably where we struggled a little bit especially against like uh, Hawks Bay their defence was unbelievable like I think we held the ball for about 30 phases and just couldn't go forward at all just because they'd stop us on the game line and get slow ball and when you can't generate that momentum and get over the game line you're always sort of pushing shit uphill which which is pretty tough at times but yeah it is it's just one of those things really so if you've got any ideas on how to get us a few wins that'd be bloody brilliant <laughs> the uh, the way you talk about the stags there marty seems to be a lot about we as a team need to change this and, and this sort of thing does that mean we see you in the jersey in 2023 yeah i've got one more year so um yeah, so I, like I, I love it down there. Like, the, yeah, just it would be just awesome. I went down to the goal of being a part of the team that sort of changed the trend. I guess it's been you know, the, the supporters are just awesome. Yeah, you get the boys on the, uh, the boys and girls on the embankment actually. Um, you know, they're a passionate, passionate crew. And um, I remember playing my first stag day uh, last year at the stadium here in Dunedin, and oh, that was unbelievable. I think there's like a set oh, thousand maybe 1500 supporters just losing the plot and uh i don't know if i've ever heard this stadium that loud and it was just from a small group in a corner um there for like a cause you know whether they actually care about the rugby i don't know they're probably just there because they enjoyed pissing up and showing a few swedes but um like being a part of that that sort of opened my eyes to how passionate the the southland supporters were because i think before that i'd only played one game down in invercargill um at mpc level against southland and it was a cold night. Um, there weren't that many supporters, but the ones that were there were just pretty much abusing me the whole game, which was probably fair. So, like, to be on the, the side of it, um, it's pretty cool. Like, it's, you walk up the street. Um, I remember after our first three games this year, everyone was pretty excited. They see us lose to 
has them by six or something, and they're pumped, and I'm just like, far out. We shouldn't be that that thrilled about a loss, but like it just breathes uh, breathes a little bit of fresh air into, I guess, the supporters. And mm. then obviously the second game, I think it was Auckland. I'm pretty sure, and then Otago. I might have that round the wrong way, but you know, like and then it became frustration from the supporters because I think they could see that like, we were so capable of winning at least one of those games that they actually became angry that we not angry with us, but they were just frustrated that we, we couldn't get a win because they knew we had it enough. And I guess seeing that change, like I guess before that, supporters turn up and think it's going to be a Southland loss. But during that little period there during the season, I think supporters were turning up thinking it was going to be a win. And that was pretty cool. But I think as players, we just probably need to actually give them that win early on so we can um, build, them a, build, a, build a bit of momentum and start a bit of a wave. Because I think if you can start that... And, yeah, Invercargill were behind you. It'd be a hell of a place to be playing home footy. Um, remember the boys beat County's Manukau, and then the next week they turned up and everyone thought we were going to beat Harbour. And the boys started with a hit and a roar, and just sort of started. Even I was sitting in the stand, I was like, "Alright, we're going to have a fair crack at this." And then Harbour turned it on and put it to bed, which is a bit of a shame. But you could just see like the just the enthusiasm around the field was it just changed because of one win. So yeah, it'd be nice to have a half a dozen or something next year so we'll see how that goes mm. yeah it's interesting every week we sort of came on the pod and me and Shuts would talk about you know the the Southland Stags being so close every week you know uh, obviously a, a couple blowouts as you said before but they were sort of there or thereabouts every game. Now, if we jump into the Highlanders team this year, you spoke about uh, the 2015 team being a, a group of misfit, uh, misfits. Uh, how do you think, I think the Highlanders, we'd all agree, are, are kind of in that same sort of realm. They're uh, probably the underdogs against most uh, New Zealand teams anyway. How do you suppose that we can um, bring bring that yeah. fight and, and get back into that finals region? Yeah, I guess, yeah, like last year was probably similar to the stag season this year. Like we played, pretty much played all the New Zealand teams straight off the bat. We had maybe five or six mm. uh, games. And I think like it was the same as the stags, man. Like we, we lost to the Crusaders by a couple of points. Yeah. Um, we lost to the Canes by a couple of points, I think twice. Um, you know, I remember at the Chiefs, but yeah, the memory bloody too old now. It can't sort of go back. But I know in that period there, we played all the New Zealand teams like, there's only, only a couple of moments in those games where they'll probably win for us and it changes the whole um, season completely and you know, we're not chasing our tails. So like those those derbies, man, like there's not much people hate the result, you know, like it's pretty crazy. Um, you know, two or three points can separate, you know, the, the five Kiwi teams, which is pretty mental. If you go out there any, any given day, obviously Crusaders and Blues on your day, they're pretty tough to beat, but yeah, like this year, like we've got a pretty similar team. Obviously, we've got a couple of new boys coming in, which is always good. But yeah, I don't think too much needs to change. Like we've got a real useful team, and yeah. like I think with youth, that breeds you know confidence. So if we can get um, some wind under their sails pretty early, like that, that'll go a long way. Because yeah, like there's always obviously the superstar teams, and on paper, you know, there's some unreal teams. You look at the Blues, they're stacked, and mm. if they're cheap. Um, and hurricanes, but on paper you're probably right. But like, there's actually not that much difference between like those elite players and then like the crew that's sort of sitting underneath that. Like the guys, obviously there's the All Blacks, but then there's a heap of players under that that probably aren't far off it. And I think right. some of these young guys coming into the team, uh, especially at the Landers, like yeah, like you look at guys like Billy Harmon, and um, we got guys like Connor Garden and Sam Gilbert, and like there's talent scattered through the team that. 
you know, could be really, really good, um, especially as they develop. Um, so, yeah, like I, I just don't think there's too much need to change. I think, obviously, the new coach is coming in. Um, they'll have sort of ideas, and it'll probably help us a little bit um, going forward. But, yeah, I think just, yeah, just going to win a couple of games early on, and I think it'll be sweet. But mm-hmm. it's still easier said than done, because uh, obviously every team wants to win their first couple of games. So, yeah, like last year was tough. Like, we sort of obviously got the momentum when we played the Drawer. Played a couple of teams in Aussie, got some momentum through that middle part, um, and then we lost to the Rebels. Like you know, we sort of built, built momentum, and then played a game we were pretty confident where we were, and then obviously lost to them. So it was sort of one of them topsy turvy, uh, topsy turvy middle season to end of season, and then obviously met the Blues in the quarter final there, and um, you know we're in the fight for probably half a game, and into the second half, and then they just turned their afterburners on and. You know, once once they get some momentum, guys like Rico and mm. um, Bodie and all the rest of it, like, they're pretty tough to stop. So, um, yeah, we're probably just going to try and contain guys like that um, and stay in the fight. But, yeah, I think we'll learn a lot from last year. Obviously, it's pretty much the same group, so there's probably no excuse that we um, don't move it, move it a little bit forward in, in the right direction this year. And um, Yeah, like there's definitely similarities between this team and the one in 2015. Like, none of them were all back in 2015 and Obviously, we've got a few now. We've got Nuggy and um, obviously Ethan DeGroon and guys like that. And obviously, Billy Harmon's been called in. And um, so it's pretty pretty similar sort of out, outlook in terms of personnel. But um, yeah, it's just a bit of self belief will go a long way, I think, at the start of the season. Yeah, obviously, as you mentioned, a new coach there. What would you say uh, is the difference? Do you think it's a good culture in the Highlanders this year uh, in comparison to the Stags and the, and the 2015 Highlanders that you spoke about that just got on so well? Yeah, I think the culture's always good at the Landers. Um, I guess over the years, like I think um, 2015, obviously, like now, the I guess the scrutiny, I guess, on players is huge. Like back in 2014, 15, like we obviously professional players, but we had, I guess, less people looking at us and worrying about what we're up to. Like these days, boys can't even piss in the wrong direction without um, getting in trouble by mm-hmm. someone taking a photo or whatever. But in 2014 and 15, we we probably had the a good mix of on field, off field sort of carry on. Um, we worked like, we worked fucking hard to be fair. Like we had guys like Nuffy Manu that that probably led the charge, and he was just mad as mad as heck on, on the training field. Man, he had put himself into some serious serious holes, and um, but then off the field, he'd be the first person to crack a beer, you know. But um, back then, we could rock up to a bar and have a group of us sitting outside for a beer. And no one had turned a blind. Everyone would just think, oh, happy days. But now you see a bunch of rugby boys out having a beer, and you know, it's the worst thing ever. So it's like, mm. it's, it's pretty tough. So, like, yeah, like the, the scrutiny on players these days, you know, social media, like boys just, you know, obviously inside the group, um, we can be ourselves and have a bit of a yarn. But some of these young boys coming through, man, like people just sitting there waiting to knock these guys down, you know, like back mm. when I should have started, like we, we got away with whatever we wanted pretty much. Like we could walk down the street and no one to give a shit really but now you know you know young fella has a bad game and he gets torn to shreds on social media you know like it's it's pretty mental so like that side of it it's pretty tough to you know build a culture when um, you know a lot of people are sort of trying to knock you back but inside the group it's always good because you're pretty safe in there no one's there to sort of sit on you and, and do that so within the group of the training day and um, any chance you get we sort of get to build that culture but I guess now the, the rules have been clamped on teams and that, especially over the years with some of the mishaps. 
Um, the culture building, I guess, in, in New Zealand was always built around a beer, um, but now it's sort of built um, other ways. So, yeah, I guess with the young boys coming through, um, I guess everyone's got their own sort of what they get up to away from footy now. So, um, I guess some of those connections probably aren't as strong, I guess, off the field because everyone sort of leads it, uh, leads their lives away from it. But um, I think what's great about the Landers culture is they do try and treasure that side of it and and treasure the fact that that's what the Highlanders have built around. So hopefully, um, it's never been lost, but hopefully we really have a, um, a real crack at that this year and um, you know, try and build that brotherhood. Cause that's sort of what we built our 2015 season around with sort of one and all in. And, you know, like if, you know, if someone went for a coffee, you could have pretty much a whole team there. So hopefully we can get somewhere like that with, uh, awesome. with this year's team, yeah. Mm, you spoke about a lot of social media stuff inside that we uh, we snippet of what you spoke about there. Let's jump into social media in another perspective. Obviously, uh, you are very well known these days for the page, the uh, legend of Marty Banks. Talk us through the whole situation with that there. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's uh, pretty out the gate, isn't it? It was, uh, <laughs> it was. I think it was made as a bit of a date, which is fair enough. It was 2013, and um, I just remember I just remember waking up one day. And it was just it was just there. It was pretty fucked up, to be honest. Like um, I remember, I obviously. Like I idolised guys like Stan Carter and that and I probably followed all their pages and then to have this, this page named after me, I was like, What's what's going on here? I, I think I played five four or five games and and after the Marco and well, I was Marco back then but Marco now and yeah, like it was it was pretty mental. I had people sending it to me, I was like, What what's going on here? And then the bloke, Alex Malkin, messaged me, I think it might have got to a couple of thousand. He was like, Do you want to run it? I was like, There's no no way in hell. <laughs> I want anything to do with that page because, oh, mate, it was just, I was getting, you know, it was obviously pretty cool, obviously, to play some good footy and have someone do that, but walking up the street, everyone's just giving me shit about it. All the boys were into me and, yeah, it was it was just weird, but he's done bloody well out of it. I think he's working mm. for the Black Caps or something now, so uh, maybe he should start paying me some royalties or something <laughs> for getting him a job, but. Yeah, so like it's, it's transitioned into something pretty cool now for, for him, I guess. Like he's got a massive following and, um, you know, he's looking after the cricket, he's doing rugby, doing everything in between pretty much. So it's good for sport, I guess. You know, like if, if I need to know something, I'd bloody just tap in there and he's pretty much got, he's got the replay of every sport and every result. And yeah, he's, he's done well for himself and um, full credit to him. I still think it's a bit weird, but, um, you know, it's, you walk up the street now and all these old people still think it's me, so I have to remind them that it's not. And um, Yeah, so probably keeps me a little bit more relevant um, at times. He's probably more famous than me, to be fair. So um, if you can sort me out for a few bloody sponsorships, that'd be nice of it. But. Yeah, unreal. I suppose we can sort of jump into a bit more of the sort of light-hearted stuff that we've got. We put a post up this week asking some of our followers online for some questions that they've got. Uh, so we can probably run through a few of them and see what they had to say. We'll start off with this one here. What is the uh, the best pisser in Invercargill, the best pub? This pub in Invercargill far out. I live around the corner from the Glengarry. It's uh, yeah, it's a uh, different taste, I guess. It's uh, good for a quiet beer, but probably the best one of all. I sort of didn't mind the Waikiki, but it was always a bit of a hike from uh, a bit of a hike from home. Um, and my track record, I got done CIC. Was it last year? I think it was. So the track record of getting home after a beer or two is probably not great so it was uh, it was a big old taxi so um, probably the closest one to home was Northern so 
I'll just settle with the Northern, mate. Had a bit of everything. Okay, that's a good one. Have you got Joey? Uh, I've got a real quick one here, an easy answer. Who's the best player you've ever played against? Against? Um, or with? Give us both. Give us both. Yeah, us both. no, it's always a tough one. Um, yeah. Oh, I've got to play against DC uh, once, so it's probably have to be him. That's probably the easy one. That's a fair um, one. Nani Lamafe was never any fun, to be honest, and I'm giving a couple now and Seth is somebody Bali probably just because they're two big blokes and uh, when you're at first five that's probably the first channel they try and come down so yeah I met them a couple of times I think Seth has put me on my ass a few times and Nani put me over my head probably a couple of times so <laughs> a couple dozen times probably so yeah so probably yeah, the big boys and then DC I think it was probably just more of a the fact that I'd idolised DC for I guess so long and then to be standing across from him um yeah, it was pretty cool, pretty surreal to be standing there, to be fair, especially in Japan, of all places. But, yeah, like it was uh, pretty much a childhood dream. I was probably in awe of him, and it was weird things to be happening when you're playing against the bloke. Mm, yeah, exactly. Well, as you were aware, we caught up with Robbie Robinson last week, and we're going to play you a little bit of what he had to say, and then we've got a uh, quick question to follow this. Oh, Marty Banks, he'd be another guy. <laughs> he, he, nah, he's not worse than Marty Banks, that, honestly. He's a different kettle of fish, that dude. He's a, he's a handful, that one, eh? Oh, mate. Then me, like him. I remember a, uh, a few weeks ago, I actually, me and Joey had had a, had a couple of tins, and we decided to give Marty Banks a FaceTime call. And uh, you guys are actually sharing the room. How uh, how pleasant is he to share a room with? <laughs> nah, he's good because he's always got some, something. He's always, honestly, he's full of yarns. He's got so many stories, it's not funny. Oh, I love and it. that's probably why we were up so late. He was sitting there giving me story after story. Would he be up there with the best player off the pitch as well? Marty Mar- Mar- Banks? Yeah. Oh, he'd, he'd be right up there, I'd say. And I've met a few, but he, yeah, he'd be right up there. So uh, obviously Robbie rates you as one of the highest players off the field and he's seen a few of them. Who would yours be, best player off the pitch? <laughs> Robbie was probably drunk when he started talking to you, did he? Because he just <laughs> pumped me up and talked a lot of shit, I think. He's, <laughs> he's probably the nicest thing he's ever said to me. I only met him, oh, I, I met him in the past, but this is the first time I actually got to know Robbie. But uh, the best, best guys off the field that I know, mm. to do what he's done. Yeah. Um, I've always, yeah... And over the years, I've always just been, it's always come from that 2015 Highlanders team. Um, I'll give you the three I've always had, so I've, I've been pretty true to myself. It's always been Hayden Parker, Robbie, uh, Richard Buckman, and Tom Franklin. Wow. Um, yeah, like the office, I mate, they're just top blokes. I think I just, I probably spent most of my time with them um, during that, that year, uh, sort of 2015, 16. Um, so that'll be the three that goes the OGs, I guess. And then recently, yeah, off the field, um, I'll try to get the one from the Stags. Um, there's occasionally a couple of dark horses at the Stags at the moment. Um, oh, okay. Grayson Knapp and, and Matt Funger. Um, sort of, sort of warmed to them a little bit. The, you know, um, and then Jacob Payne, the sort of three younger boys that keep me a bit younger. Um, trying sort of sit along, sit alongside of them as much as possible. So lose me age a little bit um, but yeah Robbie is a top bloke I better bloody just let him know that he is a top man um, yeah sort of never actually knew where he was from uh, Westport he was from up Bullaway to be fair um, never actually knew that so he's a man from, from where I'm from so we actually spoke about eventually going back and donning the Buller jersey together at mm-hmm. Hartland level whenever that is so his old man lives up there so um, yeah, so it's pretty cool um, meeting another coaster so 
I'll twist his arm in a couple of years and we'll, we'll head up there and chuck on the blue and red hoop. Wicked. Awesome. Uh, another comment on our Facebook. Talk us through your hair situation. One of the comments online says, my mum used to always tell me that if I ate my crusts, my hair would go curly. Did you eat lots of crusts? Uh, yeah, shit. For years, so I've, I've always had, well, the curls obviously have always been there, but I always grew it longer. Um, I was actually telling the, the barber guy today, I actually always grew my hair longer because I've always had a bit of an M, a little bit of a bit of a receiver gun on, and I was always scared of it from a young age. So this is, man, I was like, Pretty much had the same hairline since I was oh, probably come out of school. This is probably about twenty years old. Probably mm. I was like shit, and I was sort of I got a brother with no hair, and I got a brother with hair like a girl. So I'm sort of <laughs> trapped in the middle there. So I was always a bit worried. So I always grew it out in fear that if I cut it short, then it might not grow back, or or this end might be huge. So over recent times, I've cut it shorter, and I've actually worked out that it it, it is still there. The end's still there, but. Like it's actually a lot better while it's shorter, so I've actually warmed to having short hair. Um, everyone just used to think I grew my hair because it was a bit of a sideshow, but I just grew it to bloody cover the M. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, another comment on here, and this is from my dad. He thinks he's quite clever. He wants to know if Marty Banks was to recommend Banks, what Banks would Marty Banks bank at? Shit. Far out. There's, there's a lot of Banks. To there's be a lot fair. of Banks. Uh, Too many Banks. Yeah. yeah. Oh, what have I got? Coming through the days and recently, well, there's only ever two banks. I think it was ASB and, and BNZ, so I'd probably have to pump them up. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, I suppose uh, something else we can sort of touch on here, uh, which is a big conversation point at the moment, is, of course, uh, Movember. It's a great initiative to, uh, for everyone to be behind. Me and Joey are both doing it. We're clean, uh, clean shaven at the moment. And we see online on the Highlanders page today that you're in behind it as well. Do you think your slug has any potential? I've got it forced down my throat, to be fair, the, the <laughs> office girl. Um, messaged me and said would I get involved and I was like oh yeah I will but I grow ginger facial hair um, I know every I, I can grow a mo it grows okay but I've never grown it for a month I don't think we've always grown them when we go away and sort of South Africa we do like have to grow facial hair yeah. I think my debut actually for the hurricane we had to do it for the hurricanes and my debut so there's a bit of a story so I was room with uh, Corey Jane um, the week of my debut Wow. And this is when I had long hair, so this is when I was trying to hide from hide from the end. Hide the age. I remember I went in the boys, so, I was, so their group was TJ, Jules, and CJ, and that was like their little little group. That everything they did was together. So when I was room with them, I was obviously just tagged along. I was like probably a bit starstruck to be fair. Um, and they, they they went to the barber shop, and I remember I went into the hair yeah, to get a haircut, and I was just said to the lady, I was like, oh, can you just give me like. Uh, like a long four, like just leave some length on there, so not too short but not too long. And fucking Corey Jane had because he knew how much of my hair situation. Like I just want to kick this in, hit him. And he fucking shoulder tapped this girl behind my back, and she chucked it on a tooth. Oh no! And it went so short, so and it, you could see the M clear as day. So it's my debut. But to top it off, I just thirty. Um, dirty slug and uh, there's a photo out there somewhere in the warm up so I got the shaven head and this this yuck freaking orange slug and I look like a fucking I look like a pedophile <laughs> on the debut like it was a horrible thing so um, yeah great stuff so um, in terms of me growing ability like I'll probably be able to grow it I don't know what it'll be like after a month probably won't be great but I'll def- I definitely bet myself to grow an okay mo. I wouldn't say it'd be anything right and home about but it's a pretty cool cause though. Like November's pretty awesome. Like I've done a 
few things. I used to do a horseback competition in Christchurch for November. Yeah, I'm a crew, so used to play that a couple of, oh, a couple of times. I think it was back 2014, 15. It was always just a bit of a piss up, really. But so it was pretty cool to sort of be a part of that. And ever since then, it's sort of you know it's a great cause. And um, you know, if you look like an idiot for a month, so be it. It was really only about two weeks by the time the the mow actually comes to fruition. Um, you look like a bit of a creep. So we'll see how it goes. How do you guys go to mow? Uh, well, Shuts has had a mow for about six months, and I, I sort of had a an in and out mow. You know, I wouldn't, you, I wouldn't call it that when you when you're sort of you know eighteen and you want to look a wee bit older, but it's not really working. I sort of ha- was running one of those, and and Shuts actually shaved it what a couple of days ago now for mm. for November, and he's looking about fourteen. So uh, yeah, so yeah, he, he's missing it. Way. What was yeah. that? Sorry, it does take some years off your like I even just your weekly shave. I get a bit yeah. rough and I'm shaved off and. For about 12 years, I think. You'll be happy with that? Yeah, I need all the help I can get. <laughs> <laughs> hey, just on the back of that, we've got a few questions here, and there's Spates bottle cap questions. Uh, and we, we sort of decided that if you get all three of these right, we'd donate to your Movember page. But if uh, if you got one of them wrong, you'd have to donate $20 to our Movember page. Does that sound like a good deal? Or? Yeah, great. Yeah. Yep. All right. So we'll start with number one Tony Brown. Your old coach, uh, he played for three Super Rugby teams. Can you name them? Oh, fuck. He played for, obviously, the Highlanders. Yeah. Uh, what was the team in? Shark? Yep. And, fuck, there might have been another one. In, this is tough, mate. Uh, Stormers, I think. It was you two, banged eh? it. You banged it. Yeah. Nice. I knew there was... Yeah. Three from three. All right, Shut's got the next question for you. What position was Jimmy Cowan in the famous Stags 9-3 win? Uh, water boy. Oh, boy, that's not bad. You, must, good you must be drinking a lot of spates, are you? Nah, I just remember watching. We, <laughs> I've seen a few video clips, and um, I just remember seeing Jimmy on the sideline losing his absolute shit. It's <laughs> 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 full time. But... <laughs> and, the, uh, and the last one here, number three. Uh, who has the record highest individual score by an All Black on debut at Southland Legend? Uh, Colhane. Oh, oh Joey, mate. Oh, our money's going to Marty Banks. Yeah. What well, well, a year, like 40-something, wasn't it? 40, I think it was, 40, was it 40, 46 or something, yeah. Well, it was 46, yeah. Oh, Colhane, great man. Mm. Like the only, yeah, was, I think I was talking about that the other day. Colhane, and was that where Alice, I think he scored five tries or something, wasn't it? Maybe yeah. more. Yeah. Something crazy. Yeah, well, something we, had a, um, we had a wee sort of Extra questions sitting here just in case. So we'll give you this one here just to see if you get it. Uh, what size are Luke Romano's feet? 17. Oh. Nah, you've, you've been drinking way too many smokes, mate. Nah, they're just, yeah, they're, they're <laughs> ones that stick with you. Just, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, that's, that's an awesome interview. Thanks, mate. We've had a really good yarn and we've really enjoyed your company. Uh, all the yarns from rugby to off the field as well. So uh, good luck for next season and uh, enjoy. Yeah, sorry, I bloody probably rambled a little bit there. I played some shit golf today, so I was actually probably caught up between thinking about me poor golf and and the interview, to be fair. So sorry to the listeners. Um, probably cracked a couple of highs out there. I'm known to crack a couple, so I'm sure you get a bit of a laugh out of that. But no, nah, cheers. It was bloody, I was a bit worried. I was like, fuck, what are these boys going to talk about? Because there's only so much you can talk about, to be fair, after you've sort of been through a few of these. But no, nah, it was good. Um, bit of a change of speed and... Uh, yeah, bit of a yarn, so it's bloody good stuff. So would you say we've uh, we've achieved it when we said that we talk about different things to everyone else? Yeah, I, I listened to a bit of Robbie, so I, I sort of had a bit of belief that you should um, get the job done and um, throw a few curveballs. So 
no, it was good. It was, uh, you know, I guess over the years I've sort of spilled my fucking life story that much that you sort of get sick of talking about yourself. So um, it's good to sort of come at it from a different angle. Awesome. Brilliant. Well, thanks for taking the time for catching up with us and uh, hopefully we see you down south at the uh, Ale House or something again real soon. Yeah, beauty. Cheers, awesome. mate. Cheers, mate. Right, see you, mate. Thanks. Over an hour long, Joey, yarning with Marty Banks. How good's that? That was that was mean. That was really cool. I liked the sort of lighthearted with a bit of um, you know, serious stuff in there as well. Mm. Yeah, I think he's one of those guys that just knows when to be serious. Yeah. Not childish like everyone says he is. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) We had a couple of good yarns off Mike as well, which is uh, awesome. So thanks to Marty again for his time. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Marty. Yeah, the Rugby League World Cup. Going to run us through some scores and then we'll uh, do a couple of wee bits of news from uh, Content Seeker Dara. We'll keep things short and sharp now that we're an hour into this episode already. Yeah, the final round before the quarterfinals. Uh, New Zealand played Ireland and won 48-10. to 10. Uh, England bet Greece 94-4. That's a cricket score there, isn't it? Shuts. Mm, shit, yeah. Uh, Fiji won 30-14 to 14 against Scotland. Uh, Australia 66-6 to 6 against Italy. Uh, Lebanon 74-12 against Jamaica. They played really well that game. They did. Uh, Tonga 92-10 also. A team that played really, really well. Uh, Samoa beating France 62-4. to 4. And Papua New Guinea winning 36-0 against Wales. There's some upsets there. Yeah, well, I, I suppose we've, we've had a big yarn to Marty. I think you should just jump into the news after Jump that. into the news? Yeah, All right. Well, Newcastle veterans Tyson Frizzell and David Clemmer have reportedly been shopped around him after a bid to reinvigorate Newcastle's struggling roster. The Knights are willing to offload their two biggest earning forwards in Clemmer and Frizzell to free up some salary cap space to chase Luke Brooks. Clemmer has been linked to a move away from the Knights with some, t- uh, with some time after reportedly falling out with coach Adam O'Brien. But news is Frizzell, uh, who was brought to the club on a three-year deal in 2020, could be moved on in a bombshell move given what the Knights paid to get him to the club. The Knights see moving Clemmer and Frizzell, who are on bloated contract, as the ideal way to inject some spark into their squad. Luke Brooks, whether he's the man for it or not, is the number one target on their shopping list, and the Knights could use the money saved from Clemmer and Frizzell to lure the Tigers' half back to the Knights. Brooks is on reportedly $1.3 million in the final year of his back-ended Tigers contract. Uh, the Tigers are keen on Clemmer but have rejected a swap with Brooks at this stage. Brooks is looking increasingly uh, likely to join the Knights in 2024, but Newcastle are desperate to lure him uh, to the club early, pending a release from the Tigers. At 31, Frizzell has scored 31 tries in 217 games for the Sharks, Dragons and the Knights. Uh, well, he's also played 14 Origin games for the Blues and 19 tests for Australia and Wales combined. The sticking point is uh, Frizzell only took up an option in his favour to remain at the Knights in 2023 earlier this year and his asking price could be too great for rival clubs uh, given his age. What do you reckon of that? Yeah, it's a tough one. How do you think Luke uh, Brooks would go in a Knights jersey? I don't know. I think it would be good. Mm. Um, but I also think Luke Brooks is a growing player that could benefit more from being elsewhere. Yeah, he was Mr. Inconsistent this year, wasn't he? Mm, yeah, he had he was. a couple really good games and a couple shockers. Is that because of where he is, though? Probably. Yeah, mm. probably. One yeah. of those interesting things. Uh, we'll do one more piece of news, eh? Yeah, right. Right out. Uh, the Catalans Dragons have reportedly made a play to lure uh, Roosters and New Zealand forward Jared Warrior Hargraves to the Super League. The Daily Telegraph reported that the Catalans have internally uh, discussed approaching Warrior Hargraves about seeking an immediate release from his uh, Roosters contract to make a switch to the UK Super League. The 33-year-old has a year to run on his Roosters deal, but has attracted interest from French teams uh, to finish his career in the south of France. JWH turns 34 in January and could follow former teammate um, from the Roosters, um, Latrell Mitchell, 
to the Dragons, of course. It is un, um, Mitchell Pierce, sorry, not Latrell Mitchell. Let's go say. Pierce to the Dragons. What am I talking about? Uh, it is unknown at this stage if the Roosters would be willing to release JWH um, with front rowers uh, Tokiyahu moving on, and of course Matt Lodge, who's unsigned at this stage as well. Catalan's recently told former Roosters prop Dylan Napper he was um, free to look for another club, and his move would likely need to be sealed before the Dragons can sign JWH. Warrior Hargraves has scored 16 tries in 280 games for the Roosters and Manly since his debut way back in 2009, and he has won three premierships with the tricolours as well. So uh, he's quite a tank. You don't realise the history of JWH till you sort of see it on paper. Yeah, I know. He's, uh, as you said, 34 years old, and he's still playing some pretty good footy. I mean, he's he's getting a few penalties, but that's just his game, isn't mm, it? That's right. And one little thing here about J, uh, JWH. More than once, he has called uh, home with a hint of trepidation after a big night out. I got on the phone to my wife, and the first thing um, I ask is, did Zali watch the game? Did my girl see Daddy get sent off? A wild end of the year, even by his standards, had Warrior Hargraves brawling with Kiwi's teammate uh, Nelson Asafo Solomona in the last week of August. He then lost the plot by mid-September uh, with a head slam on Tom Burgess. Both his Roosters seasons up in the smoke uh, following a record number of sim binnings in the most chaotic match of the NRL era. The post-game... <laughs> It just doesn't stop for this guy, it doesn't stop. The post-game call home is a followed by the enforcer's explanation to three kids, Warrior Hargrave's eldest daughter, now old enough to try and work out at the age of seven. It's the four-year-old that thinks they should go to school and do it as well. So uh, JWH is obviously <laughs> battling at home a little bit because his kids are starting to pick up on his habits. It's not a very uh, nice thing if you're asking if your daughter's senior to get sent off. <laughs> As long as he's not doing it to them, I think he's. Uh, I think it's happy. It's pretty shocking. You wouldn't. You wouldn't want to go against uh, JWH's son, would you? If my dad looked like that, um, which oh, he kind of does. He's got the beard gown on. God, lose the. <laughs> You know, generous, but yeah. He looks like JWH, we'll give him that. Yeah, um, yeah I think that's a, uh, an interesting thing that his kids are sort of starting to pick up on, on where he's going in his footy career, which is uh, which is quite a hard case. Anything else from the NRL for you? No, I think uh, I think we're all done there. I think all done we'll, there? We'll jump into the cricket, eh? Bats, balls and blokes, with Corbin and Joe. Oi, oi! Well, another week of T20 cricket and the T20 World Cup kicked off, and I think we're into finals time uh, now. So Corbin's got the uh, the news from this week, so yes. hit us. So uh, Sri Lanka, Australia, of course, last Wednesday with Aussie getting the win by seven wickets. Ireland played England, and Ireland got the one by, uh, run by f- win by five runs. That's hard go. to read, isn't it? Uh, of course, there was a wee rain delay on that game there as well earlier mm. on. Uh, Afghanistan and New Zealand, that game was abandoned due to the rain. South Africa and Bangladesh, uh, with South Africa getting the win by 104 runs. India and the Netherlands, India winning that by 56. Zimbabwe beat Pakistan by one run. Uh, and then, of course, there was two other games abandoned by the rain. Ireland, Afghanistan and Australia, England which is unfortunate to see that abandoned. New Zealand had Sri Lanka, which we'll touch on shortly, uh, and the Black Caps getting the win in that there by 65 runs. Bangladesh, Zimbabwe, with Bangladesh winning by three runs. Uh, Pakistan got the win over the Netherlands by six wickets, which was awesome as well. Uh, India and South Africa. South Africa winning that by five wickets. A uh, bit of a shock, that one there as well. Australia and Ireland, yeah. with Aussie winning by 42 runs. Afghanistan and Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka winning that by six wickets. And England beat uh, the Black Caps by 20 runs of course, on Tuesday, and Zimbabwe and the Netherlands, with the Netherlands winning by five wickets. Yeah, well, I suppose we should jump into that New Zealand-England game, which was on mm. last night. A real thriller. It kept me up really late at night, probably about 2.30 in the morning I was watching that till. Uh, Joss Butler, he was the man in the action 
that game. Uh, he got run out in the end on 73 or 47 balls. Uh, so he was the one that sort of got them to that 179 mark. Uh, Hales joined him very early with a 50 uh, of just 40 balls. Uh, and Livingston finished it off the end with a, a quick fire 20. Uh, New Zealand's innings, um, Finn Allen. 16. He started all right, but uh, yeah, it was his downfall in the end. Uh, Kane Williamson, 40 off 40. Pretty slow, but he, he sort of anchored the innings, tried to get us back in, into that winning, yeah. winning circle. Uh, and Glenn Phillips got dropped early, and you know when he gets dropped, he's going to score some big runs. So 62 off 36 for him. He was awesome. Uh, unfortunately, couldn't get the job done as the lower order uh, went to shit in the end. Unfortunately, Chris Wokes, uh, two wickets, and Sam Curran, two wickets as well. Uh, on New Zealand's front, uh, Ferguson without two wickets. So he, he bowled pretty well in a team that, you know, got smashed in the end. Uh, if we just jump into that New Zealand-Sri Lanka game, just quickly, uh, as quick as we can, uh, New Zealand getting 167. Glenn Phillips, 104 of 64 balls. Again, he got dropped very early, and you don't want to drop a man in form, do you? No, not at all. No. So, uh, yeah... The other team, the rest of the team, sorry, not scoring too many runs. It was Glenn Phillips' day, and uh, he he got us that fighting total of 167 for seven. Uh, Sri Lanka followed up with only a hundred, uh, with Raja pa- Rajapaksa scoring 34 and uh, Shanaka scoring 35. So uh, yeah, uh, Black Caps are going well. Shuts. They are. Do we see them going all the way yet? Um, well, I think they've showed what they can do, but they've also showed that there's a few. Uh, what just say? F- a few chinks in their armour mm. against uh, their England side. So I think yep. if they have a full performance, I think they definitely can go all the way. Okay. Yeah, Looking forward to uh, following that. That's it for cricket, isn't it? That's it for cricket. Um, what else? Do we have anything else on the pod? No, I we don't. I don't think we do. I think we're going to script predictions after that massive um, phone call. Yeah. Awesome. That was good, though. That was awesome. I think that was, uh, yeah, that was pretty good. Very rarely will I go back and listen to a full episode of the pod. Yeah. Guilty. Um, well, you have to edit it, so you don't yeah, need to I know. And then I sort of sit here and listen to it all again. This yeah. time, I'll upload it on uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and I will go back and listen because I think that was a great interview. Um, on our behalf, that went pretty well, Joey. Yeah, I think it was uh, a good. As you saw, Marty Banks say it was a good performance from us. He said a lot on podcasts, and he didn't want to jump on, but I think he was happy. I actually, uh, when I spoke to him in Chicago, I said to him, "You know, come come on the pod." Nah, I've done too many podcasts. I've done too many podcasts. <laughs> Have you, though? Have you been asked all these questions? Yeah, no, nah, I've been asking them all. Been asking them all. Proved them wrong, mate. Yeah. We got it. You're chuffed. I am chuffed. Yeah. I am chuffed. You know what I'm like? I like being right. And yeah. um, who was right? You. We were. Your little baby face was right. My little baby face. <laughs> <laughs> of course, don't forget to jump on and do support our um, fundraising for Movember. You can find the link in our Instagram bio. Uh, and you can also find it on Facebook if you go through our posts. We'll be uh, sharing that a lot. And we'd love for you to share it as well. Anything else from you, Joey? Uh, no, I think we're all good to go for another great week's of sport. Mm, awesome. Bring it on. Awesome. Looking forward to catching up next week for episode 30 of Bats, Balls and Blokes. Will there be a special guest? You'll have to wait and see. Thanks for joining us. Hooroo. Hooroo.